0: All right, I gotta ask who's ready for some Daniel this morning. Okay, good, good. I thought I scared you off last week with all that end time stuff, huh? Uh, listen. So, if you were with us last week, we, you know, there was a major shift in the book of Daniel that occurred in chapter seven. So, uh, one through six is the genre of biblical literature we just call history, and it's just kind of a historical narrative. It's very easy to read. It's like somebody's telling you a story. You hit chapter seven, and it, it turns into the genre that we call either prophecy or apocalyptic literature, and it's it, it's a huge difference. It goes from hearing a story to watching a movie. Uh, the, the, the word apocalypsis, it literally means revelation. That's that's how we got the name for the last book in the Bible. It, it's kind of an unveiling, uh, a pulling back of the curtain so that you can see the unseen that affects the known world that, that we experience. And so we're kind of seeing some unseen stuff, how the hand of God is moving behind the curtain of human history. And so that's what started last week. And this this morning, we're going to continue that as we jump into chapter eight. Before we do, we're going to have of prayer and ask our teacher to join us, okay? So please pray with me. Father, um, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for allowing your children to gather in places like this freely and worship your name. We pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world that are not experiencing that same freedom this morning. Father, I pray for your saints that are that are hiding, that are meeting underground. I pray that the gospel would continue to go forth and that it would expand, that it would multiply, and that dictators would fall because of the glory of the gospel and the truth that is shared, that hearts would be changed. Even King's hearts, that's what we've been studying. You have the ability to do that. And We just say, yes, Lord Jesus, continue to do those things. Here in our midst, um, Father, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that we too would have our hearts change. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you now to come and take your rightful place as our teacher and our guide and open the Word of God to us. Set our hearts ablaze as we can see the truth of Scripture this morning. In Jesus' name, we ask all of these things. Amen. Amen, 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 and we're not in Daniel chapter 7, we're in Daniel chapter 8, which would be helpful uh, for my notes, and so guys, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 8, we've got a good chunk of scripture to read this morning, and then I've got four things to share with you briefly, and this is what the Word of God says. <clears throat> it says, in the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, So, guys, he's still going back in history, right? He's going back. Uh, Last week, he went back and said, this happened in the first year of King Belshazzar's reign. So this is now the third year. He has another vision. And this is what it says. "I, I saw the vision, and as I watched, I was in the fortress of the city of Susa, and the province of Elam. And so in his vision, he is transported to a place, and that's where he's going to see these things, okay? Daniel didn't literally travel in his vision, he, his body. He was transported to, uh, uh, to a different place, and, 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 and there he is. He's watching. He's seeing these things unfold before him. He says, uh, I saw in the vision that I was beside the Ulai Canal, and I looked up, and there was a ram standing beside the canal. He had two horns. The two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, and the longer one came up last. I I saw the ram charging to the west, to the north, and to the south. No animal could stand against him, and there was no rescue from his power. He did whatever he wanted, and he became great. As I was observing, a male goat appeared coming from the west across the surface of the entire earth without touching the ground. The goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes, and he he came toward the two-horned ram that I had seen standing beside the canal, and he rushed at him with savage fury. I, I saw him approaching the ram and infuriated with him. He struck the ram, breaking his Uh, two horns, and the ram was not strong enough to stand against him. The goat threw him to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one to rescue the ram from his power. Then the male goat acted even more arrogantly. But when he became powerful, the large horn was broken, and four conspicuous horns came up in its place, pointing toward the four winds of heaven." from one of them a little horn emerged and grew extensively towards the south and the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew as high as the heavenly army, made some of the army and some of the stars fall to the earth and trampled them. It acted arrogantly even against the prince of the heavenly army. It revoked his regular sacrifice and overthrew the place of his sanctuary. In rebellion, the army was given up together with the regular sacrifice. The horn threw truth to the ground and was successful in what it did. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the speaker, How long will the events of this vision last? The regular sacrifice, the rebellion that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the army to be trampled. And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, and then the sanctuary will be restored." While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there stood before me someone who appeared to be a man. I heard a human voice calling from the middle of the Ulai. Gabriel, explain the vision to this man. So he approached where I was standing, and when he came near, I was terrified and I fell face down. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision refers to the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I fell in a deep sleep, and with my face to the ground, then he touched me, and he made me stand up, and he said, I am here to tell you what will happen at the conclusion of the time of wrath, because it refers to the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat represents the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes represents the first king. The four horns that took the place of the broken horn represent the four kingdoms. They will rise from that nation, but without its power. Near the end of their kingdoms, when the rebels have reached the full measure of their sin, a ruthless king, skilled in intrigue or deception, will come to the throne. His power will be great, but he will not be his own. He will cause outrageous destruction and succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the powerful along with the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper through his cunning and his influence. And in his own mind, he will exalt himself. He will destroy many in a time of peace. He will even stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be broken, not by human hands. This vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. Now you are to seal up the vision because it refers to many days in the future. I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was greatly disturbed by the vision, and I could not understand it. Well, there you go. Daniel chapter 8. Four things I want to share with you this morning that I believe this chapter teaches us that I think we need to learn in the first, guys, is, is, is a simple truth. We really kind of covered this last week. I'm just putting it in different words, and it says that all of history is his story, right? That's the first thing we learn is that all of history is, is, is the story of God. God. God reigns over all of history. That's another way that you can uh, say it, right? And, 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 and so uh, this vision is 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 a, a, a separate vision, it's a new vision, but it's really just an intensified vision of part of what Daniel already dreamed about. It, it, so the first time he has a dream, and uh, it, it's about four kingdoms, and this time he has a dream, and it's just about two of those four kingdoms. Okay. So we covered all four kingdoms last week. Now, Daniel has this intensified vision about what happens within two of these kingdoms. And first he sees a ram, and, and, and the ram is located, um, he, he's standing by, by the canal that is in the, the land of the Medes and the Persians. And so he, he sees this ram appear before him, and, and there and there's two horns, the, the, the large horns. Except one of them is is bigger than the other. And you may remember last week Daniel had a vision, and it was a bear there, and, and, and there he had a vision of a bear, and the bear uh, favored one side. One side was lifted over the other side of the bear. And so we kind of see some similarities there, right? And, and and you may remember that Persia was that favored or that stronger, or that bigger size. Now now the the ram, it says. Charges west and north and south, and no animal can stand against him. And and here's the deal: we can be confident that this ram is indeed the the, the Medo Persian Empire, and we can be confident of that because the angel Gabriel tells us that, right? And so so in in verse. Uh, I think it's 16. The Bible says that Gabriel is the one speaking to Daniel. This, this is, you know, this is a big deal. Uh, uh Gabriel, Gabriel speaking to Daniel. I believe Gabriel is the angel of the Lord that will eventually show up to Zechariah and say, Hey, Zechariah, guess what? You're going to have a son. And, and so this, this is a big deal. So Gabriel speaking to Daniel and Gabriel says to Daniel, um, in, in verse 20, uh, the two-horned ram that you saw represents what? the kings of media and persia and so so we know history right we we know in history that babylon is defeated by the Medes and the Persians, and and we kind of already read that through the Book of Daniel, and so so that's Ram, that's that's who uh, it represents, and then uh, and then in Daniel's vision, a shaggy goat appears. I, I don't know what you think about when you uh, think about those things. I, I don't. I had some kind of Scooby Doo stuff mixed in there this week. Is I am a visual Scooby Doo, and a uh, I, I, shaggy goat. I, I don't know what that looks like, but I, I was trying to like envision, and, and and that doesn't sound intimidating to me. Uh, oh look! There's a shaggy goat. Here's a ram with two big horns, and here's a shaggy goat. Uh, but this shaggy goat w- was fierce, and it says the shaggy goat shows up, and it is it is moving. at such a speed that its feet aren't even hitting the ground. And it's great. This one conspicuous, this this really big horn between its eyes, and it comes and it and it, ba- it demolishes the ram. It knocks him down. It destroys him. It tramples him. And it says then this goat basically takes over all of the earth. Uh, uh, and, 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 then, and then the goat grows to great power, and then it says when, when he grows to great power, then suddenly the horn is broken. And, and again, the angel of the Lord is going to break this down for us. It says that that first horn you saw, that was the king of this, that was the first king of this kingdom. And, and, and again, uh, well, what, what is this about? Well, this, what came after the Medes and the Persians were the Greeks, right? Were the Greeks. And, and, and so he says, after that, after the, after the big horn is broken, that'd be Alexander the Great. So after Alexander the Great passes, we went over this last week, that the kingdom of Greece is broken up into four kind of, kind of sub kingdoms. And, and here's what I want to say to you, uh, this morning. Cause, cause when you read that passage, if you're like me, you heard some words that made you think, well, this is just about end times. This is this is just about revelation. This is just about when Jesus is coming back. And the reason that happens is because, guys, we need to understand, when we read the Bible, we all bring with us presuppositions. Now, presupposition is basically just an assumption that you have about any subject matter that you know a little bit about. and 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 so you, when you read a text, you read into that text the things that you already know and think. And so our problem, when we read a verse like this in verse 17... Uh, It says, so he approached where I was standing, he came near, I was terrified, fell face down, and son of man, he said to me, understanding that the visions refer, understand that the visions refer to the time of the end. When we read that, what do we think about? Revelation. Yeah. Yeah, man, you're talking about the time of the end. After the pouring out of wrath, he says later. So we're like, I'm in Revelation. That's where I am. And so it's really easy for us when we read this to go, man, that's fully talking about the book of Revelation. But the problem is that context is key. And in the context, God actually explains what's going on. He says, like, listen, hey, I'm not talking about that. I'm actually actually talking about something that's going to happen in history. And so after the Medes and the Persian are going to come the Greeks. And and listen, Alexander the Great, the bighorn, the first king, he's going to destroy that ram. He's going to destroy the kingdom of Medes and the Persian. He's going to take over all of the earth. But then his power is going to be gone. The kingdom's going to break up into four kingdoms. Remember, we've got Greece and Macedonia, Thrace and Asia. Asia Minor, Syria and Babylon, uh, which included the Middle East, and then Egypt and Palestine. And here's the deal. This is what God says. He says, out of that that third kingdom of of Greece, okay, Syria, Babylon, and the Middle East, uh, it's called the Seleucid Kingdom because uh, that, that was the name of the general that that conquered that area. So, so basically, Alexander had four generals when he passed that all fought. It was like a big civil war. And, and, and they all claimed their own territories, and then they just kind of were like, okay, we're going to chill here. And and Seleucid, this this third area, out of this area rose up a guy, an evil ruler, um, and his name was uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, now it's Actually, Antiochus Fourth. if you're going to look it up. But he named himself Epiphanes um, because he, uh, well, he just wasn't a good dude. And, uh, and, and Epiphanes means like God sent. He was claiming to be uh, somebody of God. And, and so here's what we know. In history, this guy really existed, and he really came out of that third kingdom uh, that was broken up from Greece. And, and so Antiochus Epiphanes shows up, and, and he's not the Antichrist, but he definitely uh, has some character traits of the Antichrist. Christ. He rules from 175 to 163 BC. From 175 to 163 BC. Now listen, while we don't believe that any of the books of the Apocrypha are the inspired word of God, um, they don't meet the test of the canon, meaning that um, we can't verify who the authorship is. In fact, it's usually proven that they were written at a different time, those kind of things. We can turn to those books if we're, we're looking to glean some historical facts or historical clues. And here's what the books of the Apocrypha, uh, the first book of Maccabees and the second book of Maccabees, say about this ruler, this evil king, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, from First Maccabees 1, 56 through 57, it says, The books of the law, I just want you to kind of see what this guy did to the people of God. It says, the books of the law which they found were torn to pieces and were, born, were burned with fire. Where the book of the covenant was found in the possession of anyone, okay, if anyone adhered to the law, the decree of the king condemned him to death. Okay? Second Maccabees, uh, chapter 6, 1 through 11 says, Not long after this, the king sent an Athenian senator to compel the Jews to forsake the laws of their ancestors and to no longer live by the laws of God. Also to pollute the temple in Jerusalem and to call it the temple of Olympian Zeus and to call the one uh, Gerzim the temple of Zeus, the friend of strangers, as did the people who lived in that place. Harsh and utterly grievous was the onslaught of evil. For the temple was filled with debauchery and reveling by the Gentiles who dallied with prostitutes and had intercourse with women within the sacred precincts. And besides, they brought in things for sacrifice that were unfit. The altar was covered with abominable offerings that were forbidden by the laws. People could neither keep the Sabbath nor observe the festivals of their ancestors, nor so much as confess themselves to be Jews. On the monthly celebration of the king's birthday, the Jews were taken under bitter constraint to partake of the sacrifices, and when a festival of Dionysus was celebrated, they were compelled to wear wreaths of ivy and to walk in procession in honor to Dionysus. At the suggestion of the people of Ptolemais, a decree was issued to the neighboring Greek cities that they should adopt the same policy towards the Jews and make them partake of the sacrifices and should kill those who did not choose to change over to Greek customs. And in the dream, Daniel has says, this is going to happen and the people of God are going to be under attack. And the word of God is going to be thrown to the ground. And it's going to be trampled. And there will be no sacrifices for 2,300 evenings. right? And this is what I'm saying to you. Like I know when you read Daniel chapter 8, you're thinking about Revelation. But what I'm telling you this morning is that Daniel chapter 8 really happened. It really happened. A, a, an evil king really came up out of the Greco Empire. And he really did horrible things to the people of God. It really, really happened, okay? And so we just kind of start here. Again, I, I don't know about you. This stuff astounds me. Like, it amazes me that God predicted that this would happen, and it happens hundreds of years later. Like, like just kind of think through that. Our God is the God who reigns over all human history. And, and, and maybe that freaks you out. It brings me comfort. It brings me comfort to know that God reigns over all this. That God actually knows all this. God can't can't just predict. Like He knows what's coming, and and, and then I get to run to that God and say, "Yeah, I trust you." Right? It's it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And so we start there. Um, our our God is is the God that reigns over all of human history. All history is his story. And because of that, because that first point is true, uh, second thing I want to share with you is this, that uh, that means that he reigns in times of prosperity and in times of persecution. Okay? If, if all of history is his, is if God reigns uh, over all history, then, then he reigns um, in, in the good times and the bad basically. It's is kind of what I'm saying, right? He, he reigns in, in the good times and the bad. And, and what we can't afford to miss is this truth that God told his kids through Daniel that things were going to get really bad before they got better. Like, like, like God, God God, said that persecution was coming, and that it was actually part of his His plan. And what we find uh, interesting on, on this side of, of uh, Testaments, as we get to the New Testament, is that Jesus told his followers the same thing. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to the book of Luke chapter 21. Uh, Luke chapter 21, I just want you to hear the words of Jesus. I'm going to start in verse uh, 10 and read through verse 19. And uh, it says, Then he, that Jesus told them, uh, Nation will be raised up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be violent earthquakes, and famines, and plagues in various places. And there will be terrifying sights, and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you, and persecute you. They will... Hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time, for I will give you such words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will even be betrayed by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. They will kill some of you. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but not a hair of your head will be lost. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Right? So this is the story. Guys, practically what that means, if we're going to say that God reigns in times of prosperity, in times of persecution, practically what that means for us is that God is worthy of worship when life is really good, and he's worthy of worship when all of life is pressing in, right? It means that practically speaking, it, it, it means that, that, that when we are blessed and we're feeling it, that God is worthy of worship, and, and when the, the world and, and Satan are coming against us and they're pressing in on us and feels like we're hemmed in, it means that God is still worthy of worship in those times, Right? Because God is sovereign over all history, over all time. He is good, the Bible declares. He is good when life is good. And he is good when life doesn't feel so good. He deserves our worship at all times. And uh, I realize that's a death blow to what some of us here preached on the television set. Right? That God is just, you know, his goal for us is prosperity at all times. Uh, hear me, God's, God's goal for you might be a little suffering. So you'll rely on him so that he can do bigger things through you than you could ever do on your own, right? That was was Paul's life. Paul's life was a life of pain and suffering. And he had that pain and suffering for all of his ministry, and it made him rely on Christ in such a way that I, I, I doubt many of us have ever experienced that exact kind of thing, right? So we have to realize this truth. God is God. And he's in God, he is God and he's worthy of worship when when everything's going well. And he is God and he's worthy of worship when everything seems to be falling apart. Okay, that's the second thing we know. Third thing I want you to understand is, uh, wow, wow, this isn't about end times. We do need to beware. Okay, so here's the third point. I want you to beware. Uh, There will be a bigger, badder beast, all right? Um, So I, I want you to understand me clearly uh, this, this text is not about the Antichrist. Uh, I believe this text is about Antichius Epiphanes. Like, I, I think that's who it's about, or Antiochus Epiphanes. I, 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 believe that's who this text is about. Um, but while he's not the Antichrist, I, I think he's a type of what's to come. Okay? He's a, he's a type of what's to come. And so this is what the Bible says about the Antichrist that is coming. And these are the character traits that the, this guy kind of shares with him, that he was deceitful, uh, that he hated God, uh, that, that he was, he was uh, deceptive, that, that he would desecrate the temple, that he would abolish the sacrifices. The Bible says that the, the Antichrist will do all these things, that he would persecute and murder God's people, that he would exalt himself and magnify himself as God. Um, and, and Listen, all of those things... are are true of of what's coming. All those things are true of what's coming. And so what I want to say to you is, like, this was a horrible time in human history that actually happened. And yet, like, so many times, what, what do we say? History, what? Repeats itself. And, and, and when we, we, we look in the Bible so many times, God uh, uses these great events in history that are going to point to future events that will eventually come. And, and, and we, we, we think about that. We think about the Passover, and the Passover is going to point us to Jesus and the cross, right? And, and, and we think about this horrible time of suffering, and God's going, yeah, there's a time of suffering coming, and it's going to be bad, and it's going to be bad. And, and so, guys, in, in second, we'll, we'll get to kind of our homework. I just want you to know this truth demands something of us. The fact that it, it, there's someone coming that's worse than this guy demands something of us, and we, we need to take it seriously, okay? All right. Brings me to my last point. <clears throat> that's this. Despite that first point sounds bad, okay? That, second, or that third point sounded really bad. Beware, there's a bigger, badder, you know, beast coming. Okay, but, but, but take heart. Okay, because Jesus is a better deliverer. Because Jesus is a better um, deliverer. And so I'll I- I walk you through a little history. Uh, how is Antiochus Epiphanes' kingdom defeated? And uh, he the, the the kingdom of Antiochus Epiphanes comes to an end during what is called the Maccabean Revolt, and the Maccabean Revolt was led by a Jewish guy named Judas, uh, Judas Maccabee, and, and they raised up against Antiochus Epiphanes, and they said, no more, we're done with you desecrating the temple, um, that's it, and so uh, and so they, they revolted, and they, they fought hard, and eventually the Jews are going to win back, uh, you know, the, the, the temple, and they're going to get to restore all the sacrifices and all those kind of things during the revolt, it said that miraculously, a menorah, uh, it, the candle wicks never went out. They, 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 were, they, they, they burned the entire time. And, and so um, they, they now celebrate the win, the victory. Uh, Jews celebrate that as Hanukkah. Okay? Uh, and so Judas Maccabee is thought of as a deliverance figure, very much like Christians would think of Jesus. And so the Jews looked to Judas as as a deliverer, okay, of God's people. Now, ultimately, he is not the one that killed Antiochus Epiphanes. That was a God thing. Um, it said, Daniel said he wouldn't be killed by human hands. God uh, plagued him with something uh, in his gut where he just... In, in terrible pain and he was on a chariot or something and fell off and broke every bone and limb. Went, it, was, it was ugly. And, uh, and God just killed the dude. And, uh, and so, so, but uh, the Maccabean revolt is, is what ended the power of his kingdom. And, and so here's what I'm, I'm trying to tell you is, listen, uh, Jesus shows up on the scene to a bunch of Jews that are celebrating a guy named Judas Maccabee to a bunch of people that were known for lighting menorahs and thinking about how a political figure had come and delivered them. And Jesus shows up on that scene with those people and he makes a really bold declaration to the people that light menorahs and think about when a political figure delivered them, he stands before the largest menorah in the city of Jerusalem and he declares, no, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. What I'm telling you is Jesus shows up on the scene and he does something so much better than Judas Maccabee could ever do. And Christians, I need you to hear me. Please hear this to, to my American brothers and sisters. Some of you are praying for political deliverance and you are looking to the wrong place for salvation. Salvation. You're, you're, you're putting all of your hope in a political figure, and a law, and I'm here to tell you that Jesus is better than that. Jesus is better than that. And we have to regain this in America, that we become people that understand that and proclaim that, that he's the better deliverer, and he comes and he delivers us from the power of sin and death and darkness and hell, and that, that has to be our story again. Please, I see, man, I see it. I I see it all over. I really see it in American Christianity. I think we look a whole lot like the Jews that we're looking for a political deliverer. That's what we sound like at least. If you were to step back, if you were a non-believer and you stepped back and read the social media accounts of Christians, who would you say they're waiting for? Come on. Would you say they're waiting on a Savior to return from heaven and to set all things right? Or would you say they're waiting for a political hero? And I love you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just I'm I'm trying to tell you. There is one message we are to proclaim, and that is the end is coming. But take heart, there is a savior who's better than any politician could ever be. You follow me? And if we don't nail that down right now, brothers and sisters, when all the bad stuff does happen, we are going to be lost. Okay? So what do we do because of Daniel chapter 8? I'll give you some homework. Number one, we worship. (laughs) Right, we worship. When do we worship? Worship God when it's good? Worship God when we got the raise? Worship God when everything's okay? Yes, Absolutely you worship god in the middle of the prosperity absolutely but you know when else you worship him in the middle of the pain in the middle of the persecution I, I i think about when's the last time you read the book of job anybody read that recently read the book of job and tell me how you feel about god right i mean because, i'm telling you his friend said you need to curse god you need to forget God. You need to turn your back on God. Listen, there's going to be somebody in your life at some point that's going to say that to you too. I'm telling you, you got to stop that. you got to stop all that Jesus stuff. you got to stop all that tithing. you got to stop all that church attending. you got to stop all that stuff. They're going to say it to you. And, and our response when life gets hard has to be, He gives and He takes away. But blessed be His name. Blessed be. Be the name of the Lord. That's got to be our response. So we have to be a people that understand. Listen, I'm I'm trying to jack with your theology. Here it is. You got to be a person that understands it's going to be bad some days. And that doesn't mean that God's not good. But that God uses the bad to make us stronger. And if you don't get that now, when bad things come, you're going to shake your fist and you're going to wonder and you're going to be just like the friends of Job that'll say, well, just don't, don't worship anymore. Don't do that anymore. Don't we, but if as a Christian, you know, if you know, as a Christian, God promised me there would be really bad days, but that he was really good and he would work it for good because I love him and that changes everything. Changes everything. So first thing we have to do is worship. Uh, second thing I think Daniel eight calls us to do, guys, is to watch. Right? Is to watch. Um, I, I, listen, I, I'm not saying we we talked about this last week. I'm I'm not saying you have to read into every headline. There's another earthquake. Right? I mean, like you don't you don't have to do that. Uh, some people do that. I understand that. But but listen, uh, we, we do need to be mindful. We do need to watch. We do need to know these things are going to happen. Somebody's going to rise to power uh, through deception. And, and, and through that deception, you're going to rise to power. You're going to persecute the people of God. That stuff is coming. Okay? So you can act like it's not coming. You can live like it's not coming. It is coming. It's going to happen at some point. And, and, and listen, either either we get it or our kids get it or our grand, their grandkids or great, great, great. I don't, I don't know when it's coming because Jesus says you're not going to know the, the day or the hour. But, but it is coming. And so we just have to know those things are coming. So we have to, we have to be be mindful, excuse me. All right, last thing, uh, is we have to work, okay? Worship, watch, and work. We got to get to work. Did you notice the, the last verse there in, in the book of Daniel? It's pretty cool. So, so listen, uh, Daniel was freaked out by everything that he saw. Uh, how many of you this morning a little freaked out by all this? Come on. Yep. I'm with you. I got you. You want to know what Christians do when they get freaked out about the future? You know what what you do when you're a little freaked out when you don't have all the answers, when you're a little freaked out when you realize politics ain't going to save you. You want to know what you do when you're a little freaked out uh, that you have to trust in a God that is sovereign over all things and is merciful. You want to do when you're freaked out and you're afraid, uh here's what you do, ready? I'm in Daniel chapter 8, uh verse 27, when you're overcome, I Daniel was overcome. Okay? Now listen, you can take a little breather. It says right here, I laid sick for four days. So you got four days every time you're over. No, it's not prescriptive. It's just descriptive. Okay. It's okay to now and listen. I say this to you. There are some Christians that act like you're never supposed to be depressed. They do. They act like, like you're, you, you, you just lost somebody you love, but you're not. No, don't you know that's for good? And they just act like nothing's ever supposed to phase you. I'm like, Get out of here. Um, you can kick them. It's okay. Tell them, Pastor Jason said so. In love, don't kick them hard. Just get out of here. Get out. Of, um, listen, listen. Like we got to be honest. Jesus was overcome at times. Jesus, God in the flesh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, was overwhelmed to the point of. It is okay if you're overwhelmed. It's okay, and it's okay if you're overwhelmed for a little short season, fourish days. No, you can have a little more than four days. But here's the deal. Eventually, here's what you got to do. Ready? I, Daniel, was overcome. I lay sick for four days. Ready? Then I got up and I went about the king's business. That's it. Listen, life's hard. It's going to be some stuff knock you down. Life's scary. I mean, we're talking about end time stuff. That stuff is scary. And it's easy to to be a little paralyzed by fear. You may go home, you think through all this, you can have a little time, but you know what you gotta do eventually? You gotta get up and go about the king's business. We gotta get to work. We gotta get to work. Listen, if the Bible is true, and I believe that it is, every word, if the Bible is true, these times are coming, amen? All right? And if these times are coming... That means that the time of wrath, that's there. God said that was a time of wrath uh, that they experienced. Uh, A time of wrath is coming, and that means that judgment is coming, okay? that's coming. And so what do we do? What's our proper response? Do we take the light and we hide it under a bowl? Do we just share it for us? No, we do not. We proclaim it from the rooftops everywhere that we go. Everywhere that we go. And I'll just tell you, this starts personally in our lives. Individually, this is what we have to do. We have to proclaim there's a God that He's good, even when life is hard. We got to start proclaiming this. We know the Savior individually, but collectively, we also have to proclaim it. And guys, I'm, I'm just telling you, there are some scary things in the future for the church. They're good, glorious things, but there's some. There, there's some. Uh, I, you know, when we started the whole crossing over thing, I said, uh, "You know, you're in the promised land when you see giants." Um, I'm seeing some giants, Jeff. <laughs> like I'm just, you know, I mean, some numbers come. I'm seeing some giants up in the land, and and uh, just just freak me out a little bit. I'm <laughs> just give me a second, just give me a moment. Let my heart pitter patter for a second. Okay, some giants in the land, but you know what? We got to get to work got to get to work and we're going to get to work by telling people about jesus we're going to get to work by inviting people to church we're going to get to work by being a church that does everything that when people come in this place they feel and sense the presence of the glory of god and we're going to be people that are friendlier than anybody else in the world we're going to stop talking about junk that doesn't need to be talked about on social media we're going to lift up the king of kings the lord of lords that we're going to be people that that is our message that we're not looking for any other kind of savior than that you guys follow me we're going to be those people. And that means we have to fight against our nature to look for saviors in different places. We're going to have to fight against that sinful nature. And we're going to have to be those people. And listen, it's going to take sacrifice. But God is good. God be praised. I'm excited. I hope you're excited about Daniel chapter 8. Okay, And if you're not, if you're a little freaked out, if you're a little afraid, that's okay too. But eventually you've got to get up and go to work. All right, join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. It is good. Lord, I pray that we would be those people that realize that more than anything else, what we need is an understanding of your sovereignty. And God, as we understand that sovereignty, may we rest in it and trust you, and may we get to work. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.